Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. So this morning I wanted to, um, wanted to ask you a question. Have you, and I don't know if they do this anymore, they used to do it. Have you, like in your high school, did they, did they do voting like most likely to you know, this, or most likely to be a social media star, or most likely to have a Fortune 500 company. Do they still do that, or is that just kind of a thing of the past? Okay, well, if they, if they don't, they used to. And in the big one, the one that everybody wanted was the most likely to succeed, right? That was, that was kind of the big one. That was like the person who was going to make it the farthest in life would be voted most likely to succeed. And then, I know they don't do this anymore, but then, like, and maybe people just did this in their minds, like, least likely to succeed. I don't even know if that was a thing or if maybe we just all kind of mentally jumped there, you know, like, oh, there's a most likely to succeed. Well, I know you're the least likely to succeed is. I don't know if that happens and maybe just in my mind it did. But, you know, you have those people in life or maybe you felt like that before that like you're the least likely to succeed and maybe you're a person who you kind of, you had this deck stacked against you from the time that you were young or, you know, you're just one of those people that you continue to make mistakes by doing things and shooting yourself in the foot and in about the time you make one step forward, you make three steps back, maybe that's kind of you and you always consider yourself the least likely to succeed. There, there was an NBA player um, that if you were to look at him, seemed like he probably, he would have been the least likely to succeed in his high school f- basketball team, let alone in, in the highest level of competition in the world, which is the NBA. Um, he was a guy who, he grew up in Baltimore, Maryland and in the Lafayette Court housing projects where he was raised by his mother on account of his father being in prison. And, you know, if I didn't tell you anything else about this guy, you would probably say, okay, he's got a lot to overcome and he's got the deck stacked against him already and he's probably one of the least likely to succeed. But he did go on to continue to succeed, had some great coaching in his basketball team in his high school. Get this, he had four teammates that went on to play for the NBA. Isn't that crazy? In your high school basketball, that's a pretty stacked high school basketball team. That's like every high school basketball team coach's dream right there, is to have four guys that go on to the NBA. So he's surrounded by all this talent, and you think it would be really easy for a guy like that to just kind of get lost in the mix and lost in the crowd, but he stood out. He went on to play at Wake Forest for four years, great basketball program there where he averaged 14.8 points a game, nine and a half assists, 3.8 rebounds, and 2.4 steals per game. He was a standout even in college. He was noticed by the scouts and he became the 12th overall draft pick in the 1987 NBA uh, draft. And that was a draft where you had names like David Robinson, Reggie Miller, Scottie Pippen, and Kevin Johnson. I mean, that was a good class. That's back when the NBA was the NBA, right? I mean, those were the, those were the guys. But this guy was drafted 12th in and amongst those huge names in the NBA. He had a 14-year career in the NBA, continues to hold the record for the Charlotte Hornets in minutes played, assists, steals, and turnovers. So he had a long career in the NBA, and he wasn't just one of those guys who didn't stand out. He was, he was good. He holds records for the Charlotte, one of the best in the Charlotte Hornets of all time. And I tell you all about this guy, and you think, well, okay, you know, he didn't his dad was in prison and he was a single parent home and you know but there's probably a lot of people that play high level sports who grew up in a single parent home and that's not that big of a disadvantage and you're right there is a lot of that but this individual had another disadvantage he was 5 foot 3 inches tall his name was Brad Muggsy Bogues 
was one of the, he was the shortest, and it continues to be the shortest player that the NBA has ever seen. He was five foot three inches tall. That's Patrick Ewing at seven foot tall. To give you a little perspective, my wife is five foot three inches tall. I cannot imagine her out on an NBA court with guys like that. That was Muggsy, okay, five foot three inches tall. A lot of people in Muggsy's position, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the, the guys who used to play against him, they, they hated playing against him because he was so small and he was so fast and he was a great defensive player. He was great at stealing the ball and he was just kind of one of those kind of annoyances to these guys that played. In his career, this guy blocked 39 shots. At five foot three inches tall, he blocked 39 NBA player shots. I have no idea how that's even humanly possible, but... You know, a lot of guys in his position would have, would have, uh, they would have given up. And in fact, a lot of them at his height, they wouldn't have even tried to go out for basketball if they were that small. But Muggsy, uh, he was a dude with a dude, and his dude was an unconquerable attitude that made him succeed. You know, Pastor Barry last week, he just started us on a series called Dudes with Tudes, and we're looking through the Bible at some of the, the great men of the Bible, and maybe even not so great men of the Bible, who had Tudes. They had attitudes. They had both good attitudes and bad attitudes. And we're taking a look at these guys and, and trying to figure out what can we learn from these tudes that these guys had. And so last week he talked about Jonah and uh, all the Jonah's issues and, and Jonah's really actually really bad attitude about, uh, about what God had called him to do. And we drew some lessons from that. Um, but today I want to introduce you to a man who, like Muggsy, he didn't have, he, he had a don't quit unconquerable attitude. It's like this guy just, he never, he never stopped. And, and, and like Muggsy, he was one of those guys that you would have looked at and you would have said, nope, he's least likely to succeed. But this guy's life was so far reaching and had such an impact that you hear his name on the world news almost daily, if not at least weekly, you'll hear his name somewhere in the world news. That's how much of an impact this guy had, even though he was considered probably one of the least likely to succeed if you would have looked at him from the outside. And I want to tell you his story this morning, and we're going to start his story in Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 23. You can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles with you, or you can get your phones out and get ready to go. I can't read you his entire story this morning, so I'm going to have to give you the cliff note version just because we don't have enough time for me to read the entire scripture to you. If you're going through like a, uh, a Bible reading plan, which I highly encourage, if you're doing like a one-year reading plan, you've probably came across this story. Uh, this is a story about a guy, uh, well, we're going to start the story with a guy named Isaac, and uh, if you know anything about your history of the Bible, there was uh, Abraham, who was considered kind of the father of the Jewish nation. God made a promise to him that he was going to make a great people out of his family. And um, so Abraham kind of was the father. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac married a woman named Rebecca. And that's kind of where we're going to pick the story up and we're going to kind of go from there. So Genesis 25, 21 through 23. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because he was childless. She was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? She went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Okay? So, Rebecca's pregnant, is twins, and evidently there's some wrestling going on. 
right about here. They're just jostling each other. And so she asked God, God, what's going on? And God says, oh, there's, there's two nations that are there, and they're, they're kind of in conflict with each other, and one's going to serve the other one. In fact, the older one, uh, the younger one, is gonna, or the older one is going to serve the younger one. And so that was kind of the story that kind of sets the scene for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So there's two, uh, there's, so the time comes for them to be born. Uh, the first one that's born, his name is Esau. His name literally means hairy, which is, you know, for a baby is kind of weird. He must have been a kind of a hairy baby. But, you know, I started thinking, like, that's a really weird name for a baby. But then I'm like, we have people named Harry, so it's really not that weird, I guess. It just is what it is. So Esau's name was Harry. He came out first. Jacob was the second baby, the younger one, and he came out, um, and he was grabbing his brother Esau's heel, and so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or cheat or liar is kind of what that stuff means. Now, today, when we want to name babies, we find names that we think look, uh, sound really, really cool and we name our kids that, or like lately I feel like it's find the weirdest name possible and name that, name your child that. And, you know, my kids come home and they say these weird names, and I'm like, well, did you hang out with him? Dad, that's a girl! Like, I should know. I'd like, I, that's a completely, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I can't tell. That name is too crazy. So I'm getting old. Um, but anyway, so, but that's how, that's how we do it. You know, maybe there's a movie that comes out, and you know, there's an actor or actress, and people like their name, and so everybody names their kid that. Or, you know, at one time when I was in uh, youth ministry, I had a Brienne, Brianna, and Brianna in my youth group all at the same time, and they were all the same age, and we called them the Breeze, and they were just kind of there. So, you know, there's just, there's trendy names that we have that are popular. Um, we, we sometimes, we give thought to what we name our kids as far as what that name means, but, but in our society, it's not that big of a deal. Back in this day, when, they, when you got a name, it wasn't a flippant thing. It was, it was, a mark, it was like a mark of your character. It's like, we're not just going to call you something. It's going to be who you are. And it was almost prophetic when they would name a child. And so, um, they, they, which is kind of weird because, it, you know, you just, it's a baby. And you think, like, what, you know, how would they know what the character of the child is going to be at such a young age? But with Jacob, they named him heel grabber, cheat. Liar. So Jacob's two minutes old, and already the deck is stacked against him. He's already got a black mark on him because now his identity, his label for the rest of his life is going to be cheater, liar, heel grabber. You know, there goes old cheater again. Oh, there's cheat, you know, every time he walks down the road. Maybe you can identify with that this morning. Maybe you've been placed into a family or born into a family where you feel like you just were never given a chance. Maybe you were born into a family and you had a last name that when people hear it, they're like, okay, there's another one of those. And they, they just don't ever give you, that. they don't judge you as an individual on, on your own merits, but whatever your family name is. Or maybe you're just one of those people who, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you just feel like you're up against it and you don't feel like you've ever been given a chance. Or maybe you were just born into a no-win situation and you feel like you're not going to go anywhere. You never were going to go anywhere. You don't mean anything or your life isn't significant because you always had things just kind of stacked against you. Well, this morning, Jacob was in that place. I wanted you to know that there's hope for you this morning because you'll find out what happens to Jacob as we go through this story. But 
let's fast forward a few years. We have Esau in lots of years. We have Esau who is, he turns into be um, a hunter, okay? He's the man, he loves the wide open field. He likes bow hunting. You know, he goes out on the plains and he bags deer and whatever other kind of animals and creatures they had out there, but he likes sleeping under the stars, and he's just, he's a man's man, you know, he's just, he's hairy, and he's a man, he's just, oh, he's a man, that's Esau. Jacob, completely the opposite. Jacob was the guy who, you know, instead of being in the open field, the Bible says he likes to hang out among the tents. He liked the security and the safety of just being around home, and he didn't necessarily go out in the open field, and he liked things like cooking, and he liked to hang around with the women, because that's where the, the wives would be, is around the tents, getting the food and stuff prepped for, for the men when they would come home from their work. And so here we have Esau and Jacob, completely different personalities, completely different. We know Esau was hairy. The Bible tells us Jacob had smooth skin, and so they were completely different people as they grew up. So one day, Jacob, and Esau, Jacob is making some, some soup, and Esau comes in from the field, and he's famished. He didn't take any snacks out with him when he went to hunt, and so he comes in, and he's just like, I am just, I'm starving. I'm ready to die. I'm so hungry. That's what he said, okay? And, Jacob, and Jacob's there, and he's got some soup that he's been cooking, and Esau says, um, give me some of that soup, or I'm going to die. And Jacob sees an opportunity, and he says, I will give you the soup if you sell me your birthright. What's a birthright? A birthright is something that we're not familiar with, but in that culture, a birthright was something that was given to the oldest male of the family, okay? So the oldest male that was born would have the birthright. The birthright uh, would give you a lot of privilege. Uh, Some of those privileges are you get a position, uh, and that position was a position of spiritual leadership and authority in the family, not just for their family, like not just their immediate family, but all their brothers and sisters. They would be expected to submit to their, or their brothers and sisters would be expected to submit to the oldest male of the household, that would be that part of the birthright. So they would, they would get their cues and their spiritual authority from that figure. It was a position of provision because the person, the one who had the birthright, got a double portion of the inheritance. So whatever the other kids, you know, if they divided it out and the other kids got X, Y, and Z, the person who had the birthright got twice what all the other kids got in the inheritance. So there's provision, position, there's a promise attached to it. God gave his promise specifically to this family through Abraham and then through Isaac, and it would always go down to the oldest heir in the family, and they would have the birthright. So Esau comes in. He says, I want to give you my position, my provision, my promise. I want to sell you my birthright because I am, or Jacob says, sell me your birthright because you're so hungry. Esau said, yeah, don't worry about it. You know what? It doesn't matter because if I'm dead from starvation, then I'm not going to be able to have, it doesn't matter if I have a birthright anyway, right? A little bit of a drama queen, whatever. He sells it to him and um, he, he, gives, or he sells him or gives him his birthright for the soup. I imagine it must have been some really, really good soup. I imagine it was like an Olive Garden soup at Toscana. I don't know. Fill in your favorite kind of soup, maybe a really good chili or something. Um, anyway, the Bible doesn't tell us. We have to look that up. So he gives, him the, he gives him the birthright. Esau gives him that birthright. It's a big deal. And so then let's fast forward a few more years. Um, Jacob has done that. He, he, he's, his brother has given him his birthright. His, his dad at this point, a few years later, is getting advanced in years. He's starting to think about his legacy a little bit. He's starting to understand, hey, I'm not going to be around here forever. I need to pass on to the next generation. And so he says to Esau, Esau, 
go out and you know, get some of that, that game that I really like. Go hunt whatever the animal is that he really liked. So go hunt it and prepare it the way I like it. Bring it into me and I will bless you. And that, again, that was a big deal when, when the father would bless the, the, the oldest. So Esau says, sure, I'll do that. Um, meanwhile, Rebecca hears this, overhears this conversation, and she likes Jacob more than she likes Esau. And so she says to Jacob, Jacob, hey, here's what's going on. Your father sent Esau out to hunt in order to get, a, to get food so that he can bless him. I want you, Jacob, to have the blessing. I will get the food that your father is requesting. I'll prepare it the way he likes it. Then you're going to go in, and you're going to pretend to be your brother, and then your dad's going to bless you. They, they schemed it. They did it. It actually worked. And uh, Jacob went in there. He gave him the food. His father gave him his blessing. And his blessing was more than just, you know, I bless you. I hope you have a great future. His blessing was prophetic. So the things that Esau spoke over, or I'm sorry, that Isaac spoke over Jacob were prophetic. They were going to happen. And, God, and he spoke a powerful blessing over Jacob. And again, we don't have time to read it, but um, he spoke a powerful blessing. So Jacob leaves. Esau comes in with the food. He finds out, hey, my brother and my mom plotted against me. He gets upset, and he goes to kill his brother. So Jacob's, uh, Jacob's mom says, Jacob, you got to get out of here. Your brother's upset. you got to leave. And so Jacob flees, and he goes to his uncle Laban's house. And while he's at his uncle Laban's house, he tells him who he is, and uh, he, Uncle Laban puts him to work shepherding his flocks and his herds of all the animals that he had. And uh, Jacob goes there for 14 or so years. But before we get into that, let me back up a second. So Esau has all this position, this promise, this provision, and he just decides to give it up for a bowl of soup. What can we learn from that? We can learn this. God has incredible destinies, incredible callings for each and every single one of you, every single one of you in this room. Don't shortchange your calling by giving in to momentary temptations of things that look good. God has not just a calling for everybody while you're here on this earth. God has a destiny awaiting for you after this world that includes rewards, that includes leadership, that includes things beyond our imagination that are incomprehensible, but they're written about on the word. Don't shortchange your eternity for the temporal There's a lot of great things in our world that look really good, and it's very easy to get distracted by the things of our world, like wealth and fame and, you know, uh, just doing the American dream and trying trying to keep up with the Joneses. There's just so much to be distracted about in this world, things that look so good, but don't shortchange your eternity for the things that are temporal this morning. I just wanted to kind of, we, we needed to pull that out of Esau's life. Let's join the story back. So Jacob goes back to his uncle Laban's house. He works for him um, for 14 years. He, works, he, he wants to get married to his daughter. And Laban does a Jacob, and he deceives him. And instead of getting the daughter that he wanted, he got the, evidently the ugly daughter. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But he gets the one that he didn't want, and he works seven years for her. And then he works another seven years for the daughter that he wants. And so he ends up getting married. And while he's there, God blesses Jacob immensely. He, he has all kinds of children, which was a huge blessing, and he gets all kinds of flocks and herds, which is a sign of wealth and prestige, and um, God blesses him in that place. Laban's house was not an easy place. Laban's house is about 450 miles from home. 
So it was not an easy place to go. And Jacob's work that he had to do was shepherding, which was not an easy line of work because as shepherds, they had to confront bandits, people that would try to rob the, the sheep and the people and the, and the goats and all the other uh, flocks and things that they had. They would have to go up against uh, wild animals and they would have to confront wild animals. A lot of times when they were in seasons where they were having babies, they would have to stay awake to make sure that everything was okay. They would have to stay awake and watches during the night to make sure that people and and animals didn't come, and so they would go without sleep. It was not easy work. Sometimes God calls you into those seasons, into those places where you're tested. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd, being tested. Paul was in Arabia for three years, learning, growing, being tested. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted. He was being tested. He spent 15 years being a carpenter, getting ready to do what God has called him to do. You might find yourself in a place this morning where you feel like you're out there in a desert. You might feel like you're out in a place that's, that's hard and God's called you to the far country. Can I just give you a little bit of encouragement this morning? Stay at it. If you're in that place this morning and you know that that's where you're supposed to be, then embrace it because God is doing some great things in your life and God can bless you just as much in the far country as he can in the place that he's called you to. Does that make sense? God can can bless you in the hard areas of life and the things that you're doing that are hard, God will bless you if you will give it to him and you'll let him do what he wants to do because he's creating in you the person he wants you to become and he's using that boss or he's using those hard people in your life to rub off those rough edges so that you could do the next thing that he's called you to do. So don't despise being in the hard places because maybe that's where God has you in the moment. So Jacob is there for 14 years. Jacob and Laban's relationship is starting to go south, and Jacob knows this. He feels animosity towards his uncle, and his uncle feels animosity toward him. So Jacob decides in the middle of the night they're just going to get up and leave. And so he tells all of it, and he's acquired a lot of people, servants, and, and animals, and family, and he's got quite an entourage at this time. And so in the middle of the night, they just get up and they leave. Laban finds them, follows them, and uh, him and Laban kind of make up, and they're fine, but Laban blesses him to go back to his home. So Jacob is on his way to his home. As he's on his way to his home, he gets word back from some of his scouts. He said, the scouts say, hey, your brother Esau and like 300 men are on their way to meet you, okay? Remember, when he left 14 years ago, they didn't leave on good terms. Esau was trying to kill him, and now he hears that Esau is coming with a small army of men, and he freaks out. And you and I probably would do the same thing. So Jacob decides he needs to do something, and so he, he sends his all of his family and all of his possessions across this river ahead of him in two different groups. He figures if Esau attacks one, then at least the other one will live. He kind of sends them in two different directions so that, he, so that they'll be okay. But he gets really desperate. And uh, I want to read this story of this encounter in Genesis chapter 32 to you, verses 21 through 32. It's kind of a long piece of scripture, but I feel like we need to read it to understand what's going on. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him till the dawn, till dawn began to break. When the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel, because you fought with God and with men and have overcome. 
Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, and my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened in the night when the men strained, strained the, the, the tendon of Jacob's hip. Okay, so here we have this kind of crazy encounter. This man, which you ask any theologian, any scholar, it's God. Um, this man, um, God, shows up in Jacob's camp. And, uh, and for whatever reason, a wrestling match ensues. I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know if, like, he came in and just tackled him. I don't know if he came into the camp and they were just sitting around talking and they're like, you want to wrestle? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that situation went down. It doesn't say. But for whatever reason, a wrestling match ensues and Jacob wrestles with this guy, won't let him go with, with this, this guy. I keep saying guy. It's God. It's called a theopony. It's a physical manifestation of God. And so Jacob is holding on to God, won't let him go. And so finally, the man says, what do you want from me? And, and Jacob says, I want to be blessed. And so he blesses him by changing his name. And, and there's a pattern in this encounter um, for an encounter with God. If you're in a place where you just, you need an encounter with the Lord, there's a couple things that J- Jacob did. And number one, uh, Jacob was in a desperate situation. Jeremiah 23, 19, 29, 13. You'll seek me and find me with you. Seek me with your whole heart. God meets us when we're desperate. God meets us when we're in a place where we're just, we have nothing left but him. And sometimes, sometimes God puts us in those desperate situations just so we will call on him, so we'll seek him. Because when we get in those circumstances where we have nothing else, sometimes the only thing we have is God. And he likes us sometimes to be in those circumstances so we come at him. You know, sometimes I think that when we're in those situations, we find ourselves in those places where God's called us to uncomfortable places or desperate situations. And, and it's always our choice, I think, whether we want to call on him or not. But it, it's always interesting to me. And I think about it in terms of a trapeze artist. You know, and if you've ever been to the circus and seen a trapeze artist, you know, they, they get in those platforms, you know, they're 20, 30 plus feet in the air, and, and there's someone always on the other side that has the bar, and they swing it to the trapeze artist, and it goes across kind of the abyss, and they're sitting on this little tiny wooden platform and uh, holding on to the pole, and the bar comes, but the thing about the bar is... It's, it's never, you, you know, they're in this platform and it's safe and it's secure and they got their armor on the pole and that's not going anywhere. And then the bar swings, and the, but the thing with the bar is it's never quite long enough for them to grab it from the platform, is it? What do they have to do? They have to let go of the pole, they have to jump, and then they grab that bar and there's safety and then they can get to where they want to go. I, I think about those uncomfortable, desperate times that we, we sometimes find ourselves in where you know, we have the safety and the security of the platform is right there. But God calls us to so much more than safety and security. He calls us to thriving, to living, to doing great things with our lives. And so, but in order to do that, we have to let go of the comfort of the pole and the comfort of the platform. And we have this time where God calls us out and the promise, the bar that gets us to where we want to go is right in front of us. But in order to get there, what do we have to do? We have to jump. And then we have this moment where we're just suspended in midair, where we don't have the safety and security of the platform, but we don't have the security of the bar to where we're going, and we're in that situation, metaphorically. 
And what do you do in those situations? Those are your desperate times. And if you're in your desperate times, let me tell you something. Desperation is God's call for intimacy. And so sometimes when you're in those desperate situations, you need to get down on your knees and you need to call out to the Lord. That's what Jacob did. He was in a desperate situation because he knew he couldn't go back to Laban. He knew that he couldn't go, if he went forward, he was going to meet Esau, and he could potentially meet his death. He had nowhere to go, and so what did he do? He called on the Lord, and I imagine that God didn't just show up just because. I imagine that Jacob probably called on the Lord, and then he, he grabs onto God, and he doesn't let go until he, he has God do what he asks him to do. And so when you're in that desperate situation, I want to encourage you, be like Jacob. Get desperate. Get to a place where you get on your knees and call on the Lord and wait for him to show up. The other thing that I think is key in this encounter is that Jacob got alone with God. Jacob sent his family and his possessions and his, his distractions. Can we be real? His distractions went ahead of him. He sent them off so that he could be alone with his thoughts, so that he could be alone to call upon the Lord. Because in the place that he was at, he saw a vision years before on his way to Laban's house. So this was a specific, special place for Jacob. He knew that he could encounter God in this spot, or he had before. And so what did he do? He went to the place where he knew that he encountered God. What is that for you? Is that a prayer closet? Is that a, is that a place? Is that a, is that a physical place or a mental place? Whatever it is or wherever it is, God, uh, Jacob knew that he had to get rid of the distractions. And so he sent all that stuff, all of his wealth, all of his relationships, all of his cares, concerns, and worries, all those things went so that he could get alone with the Lord. And if you're looking for God to move in your life, I want to encourage you, you got to get rid of the distractions sometimes. I hope every one of you has a time in your life, in your day, where you can time out from the distractions when you can get alone by yourself and meet with God, because then he meets with you. Because sometimes it's hard to hear the Lord when you have a lot of distractions. And how many people know in our world we have a whole lot of distractions, okay? This right here is one of the biggest ones that, I come in con- that, I've, come- that I've struggled with in the last 10 years, we have a lot of distractions. We have entertainment. We have, I mean, we have things to do. We have places to go. We have people. There's a lot of distractions, but we got to sometimes just say, forget the distractions, clear them out so that we can get alone. We can focus on God. And we can meet with him at one-on-one. So that's what Jacob does. And he has this encounter and God renames him. And you know, what's pretty interesting is you don't come away from an encounter like that, not changed. And I think that's what's cool about what happened to his hip. The, the fact that he was limping on that hip and the fact that Israel remembered that from there on, his family remembered that from there on because it was a change that Jacob had. He, had. he had a physical change, an outwardly change that happened, but the biggest change that he experienced that night was an inward change. Remember, his name was Jacob, which was heel grabber and cheater, and God renamed him Israel. Israel means prince with God, or one who is victorious with God. So that when people said his name from that day on, they didn't just say, oh, there goes old cheater again. They would say, here comes Prince with God. Do you see what God did? God changed his, not just his name, but his complete identity in that moment because he had this unconquerable, I won't quit, I'm not going to give up kind of an attitude with God. He was, he was ready to just have it out and to wrestle with God. And he had that kind of an attitude, and God honored him for that, changed his complete identity so that every time he came down the street, he was no longer a cheater, but he was the prince of God. And I told you at the beginning of this message that you probably hear his name every single day or at least weekly in the news, 
And you, do you understand why that is? It's because he went from being Jacob to being called Israel. And there's an entire nation that exists today on this planet that is on the forefront of our minds and hearts because of Jacob and his don't quit attitude, his unconquerable attitude, the fact that he was willing to have an encounter with God that completely changed him. <clears throat> Let me tell you this. If you are looking for God to move in your life today, even if you're a person who's voted least likely to succeed, you can be anything that God has called you to be. You just have to get desperate for him, get alone with him, have that unconquerable attitude, and uh, step into that destiny that he's called you to. Even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's not safe, God is calling you to great things. And, And church, I pray that you take hold of that today and that you would be willing to let go of the comfortable things so that God can call you the person that he wants to call you and call you to the place that he wants to call you this morning. Let's, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for each and every individual in this place. God, you have, a, you have a plan and a destiny and a purpose for each one of us. Father, I pray, God, especially for those in this place this morning who have felt they've been cheated in life and like they've never been given a fair shake. God, I pray, Jesus, that you would come to them, Lord, that you would give them an identity that is true to what you've called them to be and who you've called them to be. Lord, I pray, God, for those that are in this place and they're sitting in a, in a comfortable place and they're not, they haven't taken that step that you've called them to, to be in a desperate situation. Father, I pray for those that are in that desperate situation today, the ones that are calling on you, Lord, I pray, God, that you would answer them. God, as they get alone with you, God, as they get rid of the distractions, Father, that you'd be with them and that you'd call them, Lord, and that you'd speak to them. God, I pray for each and every individual in this place, God, that you would let them be everything that you created them to be. God, as they go from this place, Lord, I pray they would walk in that destiny, walk in that identity, Lord, that you've given them. Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for each and every individual. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.